it became impossible for me to love my enemy on one hand and simultaneously prepare to kill my enemy on the other. I, I think uh, that um, the cross teaches us that there's something worth dying for, but nothing mm. worth killing for. Yeah. And the gun kind of says there's something worth killing for. Are you still living in in a van down by the river? Yeah, dude, a van down by the river. Mm. There's no way that you can reconcile Jesus with the death penalty because, you know, Jesus himself interrupted an execution of a woman caught in adultery, right. which was a capital crime, you know? And yeah. these guys are getting ready to kill her and he says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And the of course stops these guys in their tracks and uh, and kind of reminds us that no one's above reproach and no one's beyond redemption. And we, we kind of say we're not just protesting, we're protestifying. You know, we're proclaiming <laughs> how things can be made new. And protestify would be an incredible name for a punk band. Boom! You got that right. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Christian Meditation Podcast, known as Harkening Deer. I am your ever-grateful host, Sean J. Stevens. Well, I hope everyone had a good Remembrance Day, or Poppy Day, Veterans Day, or whatever you call it, wherever you're from. I can't think of anyone I'd rather have on the show during the week of Remembrance Day than today's guest, Shane Claiborne. You heard right, folks. Shane Claiborne, today on this very pod. And quickly, before we get into my convo with Shane, I have a list of people I'd like to thank who have either followed me on Aura or signed up on Patreon over the past week. So, a big, huge, warm thank you to Meg, Marilyn, Cindy, Jessica, Lisa, Brett, Dee, Melissa, Anne, Doug, Jenny, Misty, Myra, Brian, Gretchen, Katie, Shirley, Mark, Anna, Betty, Tobias, Deborah, Tess, Catherine, Adina, Dolores, and Christine. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining and or following. I feel so blessed and grateful to have such a flood of new supporters over the past week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to be as cool as these wonderful people, you can click the links in the show notes to do the same. And now, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Shane Claiborne. He really needs no introduction at all, and yet, I'm going to tell you about him anyway. Shane Claiborne is a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. Shane worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta and founded The Simple Way in Philadelphia. He heads up Red Letter Christians, a movement of folks who are committed to living as if Jesus meant the things he said. Shane is a champion for grace, which has led him to jail advocating for the homeless, and to places like Iraq and Afghanistan to stand against war. Now Grace fuels his passion to the end of the death penalty and helping stop gun violence. Shane's books include Jesus for President, Red Letter Revolution, 
common prayer. Follow me to freedom. Jesus bombs and ice cream. Becoming the answer to our prayer. Executing grace. His classic, The Irresistible Revolution, and his newest book, Beating Guns, which I personally have read, and it is fantastic. He has been featured in a number of films, including Another War is Possible and Ordinary Radicals. His books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. When there's not a global pandemic going on, Shane speaks over 100 times a year, nationally and internationally. His work has appeared in Esquire, Spin, Christianity Today, Time, and the Wall Street Journal. And he has been on everything from Fox News and Al Jazeera to CNN and NPR. He's given academic lectures at Harvard, Princeton, Liberty, Duke, and Notre Dame. And now, please welcome Shane Claiborne. Yeah, it's great to be a part of the conversation. I grew up in Tennessee, so in the Bible Belt, you know, in the thick of it. I grew up in the church, uh, going to Sunday school each week, and um, I had a, you know, really sincere conversion where they gave an altar call and we came and um, dedicated our lives to Jesus, you know, and um, mm-hmm. you know, some folks that might be foreign to their world, but that felt, it felt very authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I grew up Methodist, which, you know, is an interesting part of the, the Protestant church. Um, and, uh, that, that shaped me, but then I also got involved shortly after that in the charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with Catholics and been shaped by them. Uh, so all of that, um, you know, the different traditions, they kind of spit out the bones and take uh, the, the beautiful parts of it that uh, um, from a lot of different parts of the, the Christian world, really, like the Anabaptist uh, tradition has shaped some of my politics and mm. the, the ways I think about what it means to be the church. And so uh, I'm a bit of a, a spiritual mutt when it comes to all that. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I, I love your phrasing, um, spit out the bones. That's great. I've I've heard you say that before, and I and I always love that. Um, what so what are the what are the bones? Well, I think it depends on what part of the the church we're thinking about. You know, mm-hmm. for me in the Methodist world, I learned um, the history of Methodism. To me, is just absolutely stunning. You know, I mean, half the word Protestant is protest. Right. Um, so there were some things worth protesting, especially in the at that time, you know, the Catholic Church that were abuses and distortions of the gospel, um, power mm-hmm. dynamic that needed critique. Um, John Wesley was such a radical um, uh, advocate for the poor and, you know, um, mm-hmm. around slavery, things like that. So, you know, he used to say, if I get money in my hands, I get quick of it. I get rid of it as quick as I can before it corrupts my heart. Yeah. And um uh, you know, a, the Methodist cross has a flame on it because of the, mm. the sort of flame, of the Holy Spirit. Mm. But, you know, it, it's easy to stray from our roots. And, and there's some parts of the Methodist church. I was talking to the Methodist bishops and kind of joked saying, you know, I wonder if John Wesley was alive today, if he would be Methodist, you know, if he would recognize the denomination that he founded. And there's parts of the Methodist church I think are beautiful. And there's parts that are struggling, you know. So, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, I guess that's that's where I, I I think there, you know, there are things that I I really still grasp. Uh, I hold on to like the the um, social justice side and uh, mm-hmm. and the um, engaging the world that we live in. Um, and you yeah. know, like from friends, I think that their love of scripture, their ability to to preach and teach is pretty astounding. I think there's other things that Luther really got wrong. Like in his part of the Reformation, I think he married, he, he really critiqued the, the, the papal authority and the, you know, the Vatican, mm-hmm. the abuses in Rome, married the church to the state in some ways and became, uh, you know, in my work on the death penalty, I, I kind of call him the celebrity endorsement of the death penalty because he said the hand of the state is the hand of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's some, some really dangerous blind spots there, you know. Mm-hmm. In the Catholic Church, there's um, so much of the the mystery, the sacrament, the liturgy that has shaped how I think about our faith and um, and things like the consistent ethic of life. To be mm-hmm. pro life not on one issue, but on all of them. Uh, those yeah. are Catholics don't don't always live that out perfectly, but that's a part of the fabric of of the social teaching of the Catholic Church. So. Um, I don't know if I identify the bones I'm spitting out, but I definitely, uh, those are a few of the gems and treasures that I've, I've gleaned from the different traditions. Yeah, no, I, I like, I love that. I think you, yeah, I do, I do think you kind of uh, did identify the bones uh, a bit in there in, in contrasting it with what, what is, what are the beautiful parts that we keep? Like, uh, yeah, you, you spoke about power dynamics there and that's, that's an important thing to remember. Like I was, I was brought up in the Baptist tradition and we were always kind of taught that, um, that we were like an extension of Israel, you know, from, from the Bible. And I I don't know, you know, as, as you learn and grow and you start learning, like I started learning that, no, we were Babylon, like we're Rome, we're, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I think that's an important thing to remember. And, And you talk about power dynamics a lot. And one of the things that you say is, um, is you talk about the difference between the power represented by a gun and the power represented by the cross. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. Well, uh, one of the contradictions I saw in the evangelical church was uh, the, the, you know, saying that we're pro-life, but on issues like the death penalty and gun violence, we were either silent or even a part of the problem. You know, um, I wrote a book on both of those, but the, the book I wrote on guns is called Beating Guns. And in it, what I discovered, you know, is that that Christians own guns at a higher rate than the general population. So that's a pretty startling fact. Yeah. You know, the h- highest gun owning demographic in America uh, is uh, evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And. When I Jesus, you know, saying love your enemy, um, it became impossible for me to love my enemy on one hand and simultaneously prepare to kill my enemy on the other. I, I think yeah. uh, that um, the cross teaches us that there's something worth dying for, but nothing mm. worth killing for. Yeah. And the gun kind of says there's something worth killing for. And now, a word from our sponsors. Today's sponsor is you. 
The listeners, patrons, and supporters of Harkening Deer is what keeps this show going, so thank you all very much for that. By popular demand, the patrons will be going through the Advent Metavotional Challenge again this Advent season. So if you would like to join them in that, click the Patreon link in the show notes. If a monthly commitment isn't your thing, the Advent Metavotional is also available as an ebook, an audiobook, and as an actual physical book from the Harkening Deer website. If you want a physical copy, you need to act quick as there aren't many physical copies left. The good news on that front is that you can order it right now while I'm speaking by scrolling to the link to the website, also in the show notes. And now back to my convo with the amazingly wonderful Shane Claiborne. And we've been doing it for about 10 years. We now have a national network called Raw Tools, which is war flipped backwards. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, it's very, very powerful work, uh, uh, turning the guns into garden tools. Or I've actually been beating some of the guns into crosses, too. Oh, and cool. uh, we make all kinds of other of them. Yeah. Yeah. And are you doing that? Are you still living out of out of your in in a van down by the river? Yeah, dude, a van down by the river. Uh, this is our little school bus. I know some folks can't uh, see that, but we're this is a thing, you know, the schooly movement, uh, uh, taking old school buses and turning them into tiny houses. So we've been living on this thing. Got a composting toilet back there, and. Uh, Got all yeah. of our blacksmithing equipment with us. We're able to move around with. Yeah, a lot of the activism is uh, kind of in our in our blood a bit, I think. And uh, I just I absolutely love the idea of just like yeah yeah you you're really like embodying the the hippie van life right now. <laughs> so which I think is just amazing. Um, so I'm Canadian. I know a lot of my audience is also Canadian. And one of the things you are super passionate about is ending capital punishment. And um, simply put, as a Canadian, I don't even understand what the debate is. So, um, <laughs> because capital punishment just seems ridiculous to me. Um, so, would you mind just walking through that? Like, what is the debate? Would you mind walking through that with us? Well, thanks for asking about it. And, and it is very... Uh confusing you know how folks who worship jesus who was a victim of capital punishment you know you kind of put death on display to subvert it with love and forgiveness in an empty tomb uh uh, how the folks that are worshiping that prince of peace can then advocate for the death penalty but that's exactly what's happened and um Mm -hmm. governors like greg abbott in texas that's um uh, almost all of our executions this year have been in the state of Texas. Um, wow. And so this is a man that's Catholic that's in mass on Sunday and justifying the death penalty on Monday. Um, and, and governors like Bill Lee in my home state of Tennessee, where we still have the electric chair. He oh. is a, a very passionate Christian uh, worshiping on Sunday, but then uh, killing people, you know, as, as a governor where Christians are most concentrated is where the executions happen uh and it's also those same states that are the formerly confederate states so the states that held on to slavery the longest mm-hmm. continue to hold on to the death penalty uh, and as a christian you know i 
believe that no one is beyond redemption. Our hmm. executions are dropping lower and lower most years. It's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. So young people and young young Christians in particular are against the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all good news, but every execution is too many. And I've been at, at too many vigils this year. We know people that right now are fighting to stop their executions from happening. So, uh, and globally, you know, as we think about this, um, when mm-hmm. it comes to executions, Saudi Arabia, Iran and Iraq and a handful of others, but the U.S. is usually uh, in the top five or the top 10, always wow. the top 10 uh, executing yeah. country. So we're on the wrong side of history. So y'all be praying yeah. for us and we're going to keep working to end it. Yeah, we uh, we do. And we will continue to for sure. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I follow your I follow you on social media and and it, it seems like every few days you're at a vigil or, or trying to stop an execution. I don't know. if it's, Yeah, it just seems like it's constantly happening. And one thing that I love is that you name the you name the people that can that can stop it. You name the states that can stop it. And uh, that's one thing that that I, I really admire about you. Um. The, the issue became a bit more personal as I knew people who were wrongfully convicted. I knew people even who were rightfully convicted, mm-hmm. uh, but they are different people than they were. When someone's doing such an atrocious thing, they're not thinking, um, what are the consequences? You know, right. uh, am I yeah. death penalty for this? Yeah. Um, and it's so arbitrary. You know, it's like a yeah. lottery who actually mm-hmm. gets the death penalty and the determinants of who gets killed are um, not the atrocity of the crime, but actually things like the resources of the defendant, the race of the victim when the victim is white. And you've got Jesus to reckon with. And mm. there's no way that you can reconcile Jesus with the death penalty because, you know, Jesus himself interrupted an execution of a woman caught in adultery, right. which was a capital crime, you know, and these yeah. guys are getting ready to kill her. And he says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And of course stops these guys in their tracks and, uh, and kind of reminds us that no one's above reproach and no one's beyond redemption. Mm-hmm. Christians should be the last people that are pointing fingers at other people or calling for the death penalty. Right. Oh yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree, agree more with that. Um, I, I have heard pushback on that though, in saying that um God, I'm, and again, this is laughable to me, and yet I've heard it. And so, if you wouldn't mind speaking to it, um, that God invoked the death penalty on Jesus. Yeah. Well, so when we have the inaugural murder, I mean, to go back just a little bit, um, Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills his brother Abel, but mm-hmm. it's very interesting that that God doesn't kill Cain. Um, actually, God protects Cain's life um, and punishes him. Mm-hmm one of the ways that many folks think of the death penalty a life for a life mm-hmm. um and yet as you look closely at it the the ancient idea of lex talionis um which was where we get the idea of retaliation it allowed for reciprocal harm so if someone hurt you you could hurt them back but it was meant to put a limit hmm. on how far you could go so you mm-hmm. couldn't hurt someone more than they hurt you so you may have a right to retaliate, but that doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean it's the best we can do. Um, mm. 
but you're right. You know, some of this theology has become really toxic and, and against the very thing that I think Jesus wanted to do, which is, you know, there's versions of understanding why Jesus died. Right. That what it should do is, is challenge our systems of death and violence, that Jesus mm. absorbed all of the violence of the world in order to expose it. And as yeah. Colossians says, to make a spectacle of that violence in order to show us a better way forward, uh, which is love, forgiveness, and the empty tomb. Hmm. Um, so I think we can, um, Rene Girard, there's other great thinkers that have helped us do better theology and understanding Jesus's death. Um, and Rene mm-hmm. Girard kind of uh, talks about it as the end of the sacrificial system that humans have needed, have felt like we needed blood human sacrifice, animal sacrifice, and all of these different sacrifices. And so when we speak of Jesus as the lamb of God, Mm -hmm. the final sacrifice, all sacrifices, it was to kind of end that logic and that theology once and for all. Whereas I kind of say, Jesus is like water poured on the electric chair to Mm -hmm. short circuit the whole system of death. And Mm -hmm. now anytime we try to justify the death penalty, we undermine and we uh, we betray the very redemptive work that Jesus did and is and is doing. Right. Oh yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, yeah, I love that. And and yeah, you you mentioned that you you've changed your your view on some of these issues. Um, would you so I, one word that is sometimes overly used and sometimes I think super helpful is deconstruction. W- would you say it's fair to say that you have over uh, gone through some sort of deconstruction of sorts? Uh, I, it's not the language that I often use, but you know I kind of think of it like we're, we're doing a lot of affordable housing in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and um, most of what we're doing is about the positive um, work of reconstruction, right? We're taking abandoned houses and fixing them up. Right. But there is, there are some things that need deconstruction before they can be reconstructed, right? And, right. Uh, and so I'm not, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a dance, right? So, and there's some houses that need to be totally torn down. <laughs> right. Before, you know, they're, they're not foundationally uh, sound. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm a, ultimately I am a reconstructionist, I guess, and I'm into rebuilding. I'm into what Gandhi called the constructive protesting uh, mm-hmm. or the constructive program. And we, we kind of say we're not just protesting, we're protestifying. You know, we're proclaiming hmm. how things can be made new. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that need to be deconstructed, too. So I'm not opposed to that. I do think that a lot of people get stuck in the deconstructive yeah um, uh, we're, we're just tearing things down mm-hmm. um and you know some of the young people that in my life the 16 year olds 17 year olds they didn't grow up in evangelicalism they don't need to deconstruct um you know flannel graphs in sunday school because they never grew up doing that you know right. um, but they 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 do need a they need a better foundation to build on and mm-hmm. um so I, you know, I think that the answer to bad theology is not no theology; it's good theology. You know, mm. and the answer to bad religion isn't no religion; it's it's good religion. 
Right. Although Bad Religion's not a bad band, is it? Yeah. No, bad Religion is a great band. <laughs> Actually, the, <laughs> the very short version of how I met my wife was at a Bad Religion concert. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than that, but we don't have time for that. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's great. And, um, yeah, I, I've heard you talk about... Um, Oh, one thing I really wanted to hear you talk about is um, you talk about a, a different interpretation of um, turning the other cheek. Do you want to, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, first of all, some of this is from uh, other scholars and, and uh, folks like Walter Wink and others that help us see a new depth to what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount when he names each of these um, very realistic situations that you could find yourselves in, and mm -hmm. especially, you know, in the first century, right? Um, so one of them is if someone takes you to court to sue you for your outer garment, give them your inner garment too. Right. And um, these were real situations where often a wealthy overseer or landlord or plantation owner right could sue their workers for you know where we, maybe even where we get the concept of for the coat off their back you know for their outer garment right and um what jesus suggests is if they take you to court for your outer garment take off your undergarments and give it to them you know right. and what that would do would really shame and expose the greed and in a sense jesus is going if they want you to walk a mile walk two miles with them mm -hmm. and it was a way of kind of transcending you know they take the low road you take the higher road like this is not about fighting power with power it's not about fighting uh with the the weapons of the enemy mm -hmm. um and we've got nothing to be as afraid of. so walk with your enemy talk yeah. with them humanize them let them see the image of god in you right it's not mm -hmm. hatred but love yes. that's going to wear them down. Right. Right. Uh, so, and then finally, in the, the striking of the cheek, um, scholars point out that the, it's very specific of saying, lift up your chin, look them in the eye. And right. if they hit you again, they will have to hit you in a way that faces you eye to eye and face to face. Right. Mm. Uh, and again, it's a way of, of really this kind of, powerful courage that we see in the civil rights movement right mm -hmm. um, folks standing in the streets and even currently in the black lives matter movement you know as folks stand face to face with police right and re refuse to meet violence on its own terms but that kind of looking in the eye right mm. and yeah. saying i'm not going to hurt you back and i'm not going to just hunker down and let you walk all over me but I know I'm not going to fight you, you know, right. <laughs> but, um, it, it, but that's, that's the courage that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. What um, yeah. Walter Wink and others have said, it's the third way of Jesus. That's neither submission nor assault. It's neither mm. fight or flight. And, you know, Dr. King, when he says, you can burn down our houses and we will still love you. You can put your dogs on us and squirt us with your water hoses and we will still love you. You can beat us up and we will still love you, but we will wear you down by our love. And mm -hmm. it's that love that, you know, Dr. King learned from Jesus first, but also from Gandhi and from so many others that, um, that, that 
the way that we drive out hatred is not with hatred, but with love. Uh, yeah. as, as Dr. King said, hatred, yeah. I've seen too much hate to hate. It's too big a burden to bear. I'm going to choose love. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. I think we're, we're coming up against the clock a little bit here. Um, one of the things you said, it was just a word you said uh, a couple of questions ago, you said protestifying. I love that. That's amazing. Is that, is that yours? Did you come up with that? Protestifying? Well, I think I'll, I'll, I'll say, I think I first heard it from my friend, Brian McLaren, who's also a writer and an activist. And uh, I think he's the first one I heard that, but I sure use it all the time. It's one of those things, you know, that uh, uh, my friend, Tony Campolo said, the first time you quote someone, you always make sure that you quote them. You know, Brian McLaren said, protest. He says, the second time you can say, as I've said before, you know, <laughs> but no, but I, I think, you know, but that's what we really believe in, right? Is not just yeah. protesting what's wrong, but proclaiming how things can be made right. Yeah. And, it, and protestify would be an incredible name for a punk band. So. Boom. You got that right. <laughs> so I, I would think, I would say like part of how I grew up thinking about prayer um, it's pretty shallow. Um, mm. It's like I, my friend is, you know, one of his grandkids was going up to pray. And he said, I'm going to pray. Does anybody want anything? <laughs> you know, just kind of as this list of requests we want from God. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of prayer. But mm -hmm. I've come to really appreciate a deeper part of prayer, which is that we're not just trying to get God to do what we want God to do but we're trying to get ourselves to do what God wants us to do and to be who mm. God wants us to be. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these prayers that I want to lead us in, in a second are prayers that I learned in India from Mother Teresa. And some of them are older prayers that um, are, are about us kind of grounding ourselves in who God is and being filled with the spirit so that we might uh, be as Christ said, you, you, you will be my hands and my feet, you know, that mm. we're going to try to live out the love of God in the world. Or, you know, Paul said, yeah. the life I live, I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me and through mm. me. Um, it's also why Mother Teresa, she liked to have communion, the Eucharist, uh, every morning. And we mm. were talking to one of the nuns about that. And she said, well, you've heard we are what we eat. And she's like, that's what we're remembering, you know, is yeah. that as we eat the body of Christ, as we so strangely say, you know, in the church, and we drink the blood of Christ, yeah. that we're the ones that are being transformed into the body of Christ, right? We're, yeah. we're now to pour out our lives to the, a hurting world as Christ did, mm -hmm. and to love as Christ loved. So when we call ourselves the body of Christ as a church, um, and even the remembering, like we're putting together the pieces of the body of, of Christ around the world as we seek to be God's yeah. love in the world. So mm -hmm. that's a little mystical uh, meditation on the, on the, the you know, kind of how I think of prayer. But one of these prayers that I'll lead us in is um, a prayer Mother Teresa and the sisters in India who I, I worked with, um, they prayed. And, and it, go, it's, it says, may every person I come in contact with feel your presence in my soul, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then it says, may I leap off your fragrance everywhere I go, Jesus. Let us bring hope 
Where there is darkness, let us shine your light. Where there is sadness, let us bring joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. We pray that your fruit would be in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. May every person I come in contact with feel your presence in my soul, Jesus. May I leave off your fragrance everywhere I go, Jesus. Help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. That was beautiful, Shane. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. And thank you for thank you for taking the time and thank you for leading us in those prayers. And yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I would I don't know if you're up for it, but I would love to do this again at some point. Yeah, let's do that. Keep in touch, man. Thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of the podcast. Thank you.